This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. Jeff Bezos is my daddy, and the best way to support my daddy is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting, and click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like Nerlywood, and I get a little kickback. Please feed the daddy. <laughs> This week's episode of Uncomedy Writing is brought to you by the Satire and Humor Festival. There's a brand new festival in New York, and it's coming up March 22nd to Mar- through March 24th at Caveat and Magnet Theater. It's the Satire and Humor Festival. It focuses on the kind of written humor and satire pieces you would see in places like McSweeney's, The New Yorker, The Belladonna, and Points in Case. It's run by two former uh, OCW guests, uh, Caitlin Kunkel and James Fulta. The festival has six workshops, panels ranging from diversity in the field to how people went on to write for TV, and a panel on writing, selling, and marketing humor books. Uh, that sounds great. You know, it seems like a great thing for uh, people who listen to this podcast. It also seems like, I think it's during a spring break, maybe. I, I should know. I do have spring break, but I don't think it's during mine. Uh, the festival will feature Emma Allen, the editor of The New Yorker's Shouts and Murmurs, as well as the cartoons... Uh, right. Oh, sorry. I read that wrong. She edits the Shouts and Murmurs as well as the cartoons. Writers from McSweeney's, Full Frontal, Late Night with Seth Meyers, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and more. Check out their website, www.satireandhumor.com, for festival passes and one-off tickets to events. Hey, I recommend it. Uh, go go do it. Sound, uh, if You know, when I was in college and it was during my spring break, this would definitely be something I would have done. Uh, because I am a comedy nerd, which honestly, if you're listening to this, you have to be, why would you listen to this? If you weren't, it would be funny if someone didn't like comedy, but listen to this, uh, it would be weird. I guess my friends are kind of like that. I'm kind of rambling here, but saturnhumor.com. Go check that out. Her festival passes when I tickets to events, check it out. On comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast of the business of craft writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode this week. Our guest is Mike Scollins. He's a UCB guy who's written for Funny or Die, SNL, Golden Globes, and Late Night with Seth Meyers. Very funny guy, very interesting stuff. So here is Mike Scollins. Mike, thanks for coming to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I am from uh, Marshall, Massachusetts. It's like between Boston and Cape Cod. You're from oh. Dallas? I'm from Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you like growing up there? Say that again? Sorry. D- did you like growing up there? Yeah, yeah. Um, Massachusetts is great. Boston's beautiful. I feel like if it was like good for my career, I could happily live there. <laughs> I, uh, I flew from Boston to Cape Cod once. How was that for? It was, it was cool. I don't know how much it cost. I mean, cost-wise, it might not have been worth it, but it was like a little small, like, pl- like it must have been like a single single engine plane or something. Yeah, and uh, it was like six people on it. It was like six six seats. It was cool. Oh wow! I, I sat next to John Waters. Ooh, really? Yeah. Just by coincidence, Just he was by also coincidence. flying Boston to Cape Cod. Yeah. How much time does that honestly save you? Or was it just oh. for the fun of it? I was, it was like, I was going to Cape Cod from Dallas. So I flew Dallas to Boston. Oh, got it, got it. So got then it. It, it made more sense than having, like I was meeting up with people, so it made more sense than having them come to Boston to pick me up. And then right, right, right. Uh, but it was cool. It was, it was, it, I recommend it if you ever, you know, want to see like the sights a little bit. Yeah, or sit next to John Waters. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, sitting next to him, I was like, I think that's John Waters. And then I pulled out my phone and I googled John Waters Cape Cod and he goes there all the time. So I was like, oh, that is John Waters. I also feel like John Waters, like, you either are 100% sure it's him or it's not him. Right, Because right. he looks so distinct. Yeah, you get the, the pencil <laughs> mustache. Yeah. Uh, didn't say a word to him. Oh, good. <laughs> Even, cause I, I realized I've like only seen like one John Waters movie. Which one? I've seen, well, I guess now I've seen... A disgusting one. Uh, oh, Pink Flamingo? Yeah, I've yeah, seen that one, uh, which I did not like. Uh, and I think I saw uh, the one with Johnny Depp. I forget Cry Baby? Yes. I genuinely think Serial Mom is great. Yeah, oh yeah, that, that's the one I would like to see and I haven't seen. It's good. Uh, it's Kathleen Turner? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm going to check that out. Uh, when you were growing up, did, were you interested in comedy at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up on... SNL, Simpsons. Uh, I think maybe I was more of a fan of television in general mm-hmm. than like specifically comedy. Uh, but yeah, I was watching a ton of it. I remember my babysitter introduced me to um, 
Liquid Television on MTV. Oh, yeah. Which is like where Beavis and Butthead spun off from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, this is just fantastic. Beavis and Butthead, underrated, I think, today. Hugely underrated, but I think getting... Starting to get appreciated now. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the new? Did you watch the new reboot one from a couple years ago? I did. I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. Yeah. I thought it was like excellent. The, the only bummer to me was because the landscape of MTV had changed at the time. They were... Watching like Jersey Shore clips instead yeah. of music videos, and I really loved the music video stuff. They, uh, I remember, I'm a big Pavement fan, the band Pavement. Oh yeah, and uh, they laid into them on uh, the Cut Your Hair music video, which is <laughs> kind of like Pavement music videos were never very good, but uh, I thought it was very funny. That's great. Uh, and then Daria so it was a spinoff of that, right? Yeah, Daria's fantastic. Which is which so is coming weird. back now. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh wow. I believe it focuses on her friend this time, not on her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, if it's good as the Beavis and Butthead reboot, it'd be great. Right? I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, were you doing like, any comedy stuff growing up? Uh, I I mean, my, my family had like a video camera, and I was like always yeah. like shooting stuff and just messing around with it. Uh, I did go to like a theater camp for a summer, but it wasn't comedy. We did Grease. <laughs> <laughs> just funny. Well, it was great. Yeah, my, my Kaniki was fun. Uh, and then like... It's funny. Do, like, How old were you when you did the uh, Grease? Uh... I must have been like 13, maybe. It's, it's like kind of a mature. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of funny to mention like 13-year-olds. There is like a pregnancy scare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, and then did like the one acts in like the high school drama club. So you, were you a big uh, theater person growing up? Yeah, I mean, I really love theater. I'm not like uh, a great singer or anything, yeah. so I was never doing the musicals uh, aside from Grease. Uh, but I love theater. Mm-hmm. Do you still get watch theater today? a lot yeah um i my colleague karen chi who just had on the show oh yeah we're going to see um be more chill oh soon, which cool. i'm looking forward to i heard that that so obviously that was like off broadway and now it's come back onto broadway kind of randomly right that, like, i truly don't even know we're going i don't know the plot of this i don't know the plot either but this, i just heard that part of the reason why it's come back is because of spotify listens like people oh really like, and the people think it's because it, after Dear Evan Hansen, it's like if you if you listen to that, it's as if you would you rec- it recommends be more chill, and so people just listen oh, wow. to be more chill through that, and that's what's brought it back. Oh, that's great! Which is crazy. I mean, what 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 an insane story! Yeah, I don't know if it's true. Someone that's a rumor. <laughs> this is, none cool of this is thing. true, but it's yeah. a cool story. <laughs> uh, I'm also going to see uh, my friend Anthony King wrote Beetlejuice, which is going to be on Broadway pretty soon. Oh, right! And I just got to get to see that in a few weeks. I'm really looking forward to it. When's that gonna come out? I think previews start pretty soon because I'm seeing it like within the next few weeks. Wow, that's awesome. Hmm. Uh, so when you were in uh, when you went to college, you know what you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think my I was an English major in college, and I definitely like if someone said like you can choose your job, you can have any job on earth, I'd be like I want to write for SNL, but I just didn't know like how you did that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no like Monster.com posting for <laughs> SNL writer, so I didn't know like what the path to getting that job was. I just knew that, like, I wanted to work in comedy. Uh, and I was like, all right, I guess I'll just, like, be an English major that lives in New York and maybe somebody will offer me a job. <laughs> and then once I discovered the Upper Citizens Brigade and started taking classes there, I was like, oh, I do see the pathway now. Like, that person I saw on Herald mm-hmm. Night is now in a commercial or just got a writing job or something. And I was like, all right, there is, like, some sort of filtration system. Mm-hmm. How did you discover UCB? Uh, I, uh, my college friends and I would go to ASCAT um, their Sunday night show every week uh, we would like sit on milk crates at like 4.30 in the afternoon for tickets to the 9 o'clock show uh, and we went every Sunday and it was great now you just gotta reserve it at noon right is that how is that how the system works it's, now? it's online now I think yeah well I mean I guess it's nice you don't have to sit outside anymore right <laughs> uh, and so you started uh, going to ASCAT then when did you start taking classes from there right after college I signed up for classes and then uh, went through the whole improv program, took an advanced improv class. And I was, like, fine at improv. I was never great. Uh, and I was, like, on an improv team with people where I was like, oh, I can tell that they're great. And I rehearse just as much as they do. So maybe I'm just not the best improviser. Uh, and then took the sketch program after I finished all the improv classes. And was like, oh, this is what I like more anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, I got on, like, a house team. When you were um, when you started doing classes, was it something you immediately liked? Loved it, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. From like the first class, would you start like 
uh, what did you start like doing like in between classes? Were you, were you like on practice groups and stuff? Yeah, I was on a practice team uh, with people that I'd met like through the classes, mm-hmm. and we would do shows like you know the Creek in the Cave or. Mm-hmm. Who are your uh, teachers? Who are my teachers? Uh, Shannon O'Neill, Anthony King, Anthony Atamanik, Curtis Gwynn. Um, I know I'm forgetting a couple of people. <laughs> That's some heavy hitters, though. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, great, great rooms yeah. to be in. Yeah. What made you decide to take uh, sketch classes? Uh, mainly, well, first UCB was only offering improv, which is why I signed up for improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the sketch classes uh, started up, and since I'd finished the program, I was like, well, I could like retake this improv class, or I could try something new. And I was like very interested in sketch comedy already. Mm-hmm. Was there like a lot of sketch at the theater at all at that point, or not really? Uh, at the time, there were uh, like when I was going to the theater in college i think they would have like maybe once a week they would have a a running show that like had like a six-month run or something but it was never like there weren't mod teams at the time so it was not like a teams were putting up a new sketch show at the theater every week is were you on like one of the first iterations of uh, mod night one of the earlier ones um my team was called onassis we were we performed at the theater i think for like three years um most of them live in la now but we still do shows every once in a while mm-hmm. And that, that team is supposed to be, like, that's, like, known as a as an especially good team, right? Oh, thanks. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> uh, we did win the uh, Friars Club. They had, like, a national sketch competition, uh, and that was a big deal for us at the time. What was what was that like? Uh, it was super fun. It was intimidating because there were, like, some great teams that we were up against, and we were, like, a pretty new mod team. Uh, but then they gave us, like, five grand to, like, essentially, like, shoot, a, like, a sizzle reel pilot. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was super fun for us. And it was also, like, the first, like, real validation other than getting on a team that we had had. Because, like, no one had gotten, like, jobs from comedy or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we won that day. It was just fantastic. How'd you go about, like, uh, what would you, you guys do with the money? Like, you shot a sizzle reel? Yeah, we shot, um, we shot a, uh, I think, like, a 22-minute uh, short film. But we wanted it to essentially be a pilot for a sketch show. That we premiered at the Friars Club Film Festival, which I don't even think is a thing anymore. What What was like that process like of deciding like uh, how to do that? We uh, we elected a head writer. Uh, my good friend Seth Reese was also a writer on Late Night, uh, and that helped because when we were taking we were putting up shows at the UCB, you would have a director uh, who essentially like served as a head writer, like making decisions. But since we were doing this outside the purview of UCB, it was like, oh, we're autonomous and we all have different ideas, so we better hire somebody to be in charge of us mm-hmm. just so that, like, all right, we've been discussing this too long. We need to make a decision. Uh, and that was Seth Reese, and he was great. And so did you So you filmed something like – was it a like a sketch pilot, basically? Yeah. It had, like, a through line because uh, Fry's Club really wanted us to make a f- short film. Uh, so it had a through line similar to how, like, Mr. Show, like, one sketch would lead into the mm-hmm. other one. Uh, I truly don't remember what it's about. <laughs> Which, did you guys like? So once you had that made, were you trying to like sell it places, or like what'd you do with it? Uh, it like got us a couple like general meetings at mm-hmm. places. Um, but it turned into more just like a learning experience right. for us. It's hard to sell. I feel like no one's selling a, a sketch show anymore. Yeah, it was weird time because it was before the huge boom of right. sketch shows, uh, and. Now I feel like we're back in that cycle where they're harder sales again. Yeah, there's like three years, Rick. There was like Key and Peel, uh, Schumer, Schumer, Portlandia, Portlandia. Portlandia. And also like quality-wise, they were like all terrific Yeah, too. they were all pretty good, yeah. Yeah, that was nice. And yeah, now it's that's t- t- completely shifted. Yeah. <laughs> now there's zero. Uh, what do you think makes like a good uh, sketch team? Uh, I think... Uh, similar sensibilities and it's just got to be people that you respect their taste and like being around Mm -hmm. um you know it helps if it's you're working with people that you think are better than you so that that will like up your game right where you you guys didn't self-select right you guys were put together we were put on a team by anthony king Mm -hmm. uh and then once we stopped performing at the ucb we like stayed a team because we liked each other so much that's pretty. It's cool. It's probably pretty rare for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. It was um, a great experience, and they're all like still my best friends. Mm-hmm. 
What do you think are the the hallmarks of a good sketch for like live theater versus video? Uh, oh, that's a great question. Live theater, I think you can get away with uh, the element of surprise more because everyone has to like imagine a prop. Mm. So like you could have a button that's like you didn't know that this was taking place on the moon this whole time right. or something like that. Whereas like if it were a pre tape sketch, you would you would know from the bat this is taking place on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Do do you? Do you when you're writing like for live stuff? Do you do you think about that a lot, like the kind of surprising the audience in that way? Yeah, I mean you definitely because you gotta play with what you have. There are so many benefits to a pre-tape sketch, which are like props and production value, as opposed to like, all right, we're doing this at UCB and we have like four chairs to use, so right. let's have fun with that. <laughs> and also, you get like the immediate feedback of what works and what doesn't work. So right. if it's like a show that you're like workshopping, it's so much easier to do it again the next time. Mm-hmm. Is that difficult now? Like in your in your job you have now, where you have to do you do things pretty much just like once, right? And then it goes up, and it's either good or bad. Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing about uh, working on a late night television show is you become a lot less precious about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a sketch that shits the bed, it's like, all right, well, we still have three more shows left this week. So. Yeah. <laughs> and similarly, like if you have like a home run sketch, it's like, all right, well, what do you have for me tomorrow? Because we still have. <laughs> three more shows this week so the successes are short and the failures are short we write like six pages of jokes a day and if i get three of them in the show it's like oh you had a good day today right right what's your uh favorite sketch you've done on mod night favorite sketch i've done on mod night uh there's a sketch where uh a publisher's clearinghouse guy knocks on the door uh tells this woman like you just want publisher's clearinghouse (laughs) And then she's freaking out uh, on her doorstop as um, an army general comes with a folded flag to her door. (laughs) Uh, And this sketch just immediately shifts focus uh, to him who's like, oh, nothing. I'm not I'm not here for any any reason. Like, no, no, come. We're celebrating. We're celebrating. And eventually he's like, your husband's dead. (laughs) How how do you think of a sketch like that? Because that's such an interesting concept. I mean, I guess you. I mean, I guess I could kind of think of how you think of that, but yeah, my my personal taste is um, a lot more uh, low concept kind of. Like, it, I'm way more likely to write a sketch that takes place at a dinner table than I am to one that takes place on the moon. Right. Uh, I'm really interested in like regular everyday people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I wrote. I don't even think I wrote a single sketch for Mod Night that involved. Like a celeb, somebody playing a celebrity, um, that's less interesting to me. But like a random woman from the Midwest who just won Publishers Clearinghouse the day she finds out her husband died, like is interesting to me. Why? Why do you think that is that that appeals more to you? Uh, I think it's just a matter of taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more interested in regular everyday people, I guess. <laughs> uh, and you started doing stuff at uh, Funny or Die, right? Yep. How did that come about? Uh, Funny or Die, I was uh guest writing at snl um where they guest writing they hire you for a specific number of episodes Mm -hmm. and you know that at the end of the contract you're done uh so i went to snl and like finished out the season and then started freelancing at funnier die over the summer while i was like waiting to see if they were going to bring me back Mm -hmm. uh which they did not so this like freelancing gig turned into like a two-year uh job which i loved working at funnier Die was great How, how did the snl thing come about uh, there were some people there that knew me from uh, putting up sketches at UCB, and, and also um, my friend Chris Kelly, you know, mm-hmm. creator of the other two, a uh, very funny show, uh, like really went to bat for me and helped me get that job. What's it like, like going into, like to the to the middle of the season, right? In the yeah, it was it was to finish it was to finish the season. I mean, I I started in May. Oh wow! Uh, so everyone was like pretty burnt out and running on fumes and i'm like what's up guys how lucky are we to be here right now (laughs) yeah was it was it weird like joining as like a guest guy uh it was the pressure was different because i was like i have two weeks to prove myself instead of a season Mm -hmm. uh but also since i was there so briefly like i mean you need two weeks to find out like where the control room is and stuff that i really felt like i just like won a raffle that was like shadow an snl writer for two weeks (laughs) or something what what was that whole like uh, two weeks like? Uh, it was a blast. I mean, I 
I'm so happy I got to do it just because I loved SNL for so long that I was like, all right, I got to like taste it. I got a couple sketches on and I got to like see how the process works from Monday till Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating how that show gets put right. together. Uh, I had a great time and I also had already had some friends there. So I wasn't like nervous about like, well, what if nobody wants to write with me or something? Right, right. What, did you see you got a sketch on? Uh, yeah, I, got, I had a sketch. Uh, I did one sketch one week and then the monologue um, for a host the week after. That seems pretty good for two weeks, dude. I thought so too. <laughs> uh, was was that like uh, I don't know? Like why why do you think you didn't uh, come back? Uh, you know, if you find out, let me know. <laughs> uh, I think you know when they start interviewing new people, it's just like new people are shiny, and yeah, you yeah, get yeah. excited about that. Mm-hmm. What was the sketch you got on? Uh, myself and Colin Jost wrote this sketch when Andrew Garfield was hosting. Uh, where him and Emma Stone like don't know how to kiss. They were like rehearsing for Spider Man. Okay. Uh, and it had um, the guy from Coldplay in it, whose name I'm not going to remember. Chris right. Martin. Chris Martin from Coldplay was in it. Uh, and then I did uh, Charlize Theron's monologue the next week with uh, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider. What's it like writing the monologue? Uh, I I got the impression that like it's nobody's favorite part of the week. Yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah. Uh, but me, I was like. This is great. We get to work with Charlie Star. <laughs> yeah. So, like, how how involved is the host with that uh, generally? Uh, on Tuesday, which is writing night, uh, the producers will bring the host around and they'll say, like, "Do you need five minutes with whomever the host is?" Mm-hmm. So you can like pitch them a sketch and be like, "I was thinking you could do this and read through tomorrow," or you could say, "Like, no, I don't need them." Whatever. And then if your sketch gets picked, you obviously work closely with them on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. But for the monologue specifically, do you like work even closer with them, or not, or just same same amount? Uh, I mean, like I said, I only did it once, but uh, she was she was pretty involved. Yeah, yeah. What was the, what was the monologue ended up being? Uh, they asked her at the beginning of the week, like, "Is there anything that you want to do?" And she was like, "I'm open to anything." Um, she's like a, I think she's like a classically trained ballerina or something. She's like, "I just uh, can't sing." Uh, so then we wrote a song about how she couldn't sing. <laughs> That's fun. And she was great, and she was really game, and it was fun. And so uh, with Funny or Die, so you, you were started as a freelancer, and then did you become full time there, or is it always yeah, yeah yeah in the fall uh, I like accepted like a full time staff job. Were you more of like a, an articles person or a sketch person? Mostly editorial. Uh, I worked in the New York office, and the New York office was largely uh, editorial, whereas the LA office was largely video. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while, we would do a video of a celebrity happened to be in New York instead of LA, but that was less frequent. Mm-hmm. What's uh, the writers' room like over there? Uh, it was great. I mean, they were all uh, good friends of mine from, UC- from UCB, so I was happy to be working with them. Uh, it's interesting, for something like Funny or Die, there's no like specific voice because you're not writing for a specific person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the writer's room was like comprised of some very different people who thought very different things were funny, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as opposed to like late night where it's like, all right, well, is this what Seth thinks is funny? I'm writing for Seth. I was just like writing for myself and Matt Kleiman and Pat O'Brien were writing for themselves. And also like so much uh, user generated content is on Funny or Die. Right. So it's like a little bit of everything. Yeah. But it's good because it makes like space for everything and there should be. Mm-hmm. Does that make things uh, easier for you uh, knowing that you can kind of just do what you want? Or do you kind of want more of a uh, structure to it? I guess I mean that's structure but like more of like oh we're looking for this type of thing. Uh, I mean, I definitely enjoyed the freedom. Um, personally, I'm someone that needs structure um, and needs deadlines. But we were, like, pretty autonomous from the L.A. office. And the nice thing about doing editorial is there's no budget involved. So it's like, if an article goes viral, great. And if it doesn't, it's like, well, we didn't spend any money on this. Right. You know, we spent some time on it. Mm-hmm. How do you uh, generate ideas for uh, for online pieces? Specifically editorial? Sure, yeah. Uh, we would have a pitch meeting uh, once a week, and we would talk about the things that we like kind of have to hit, um, which would be like pop culture, newsy type stuff. And then once we got that like taken care of and we knew who was handling that, then you could do like your own thing. Yeah. yeah. Did you like writing about uh, pop culture stuff? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it difficult with those? Cause I, I assume like I know Funny or Die, like that's their bread and butter is like pop culture stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, the landscape of all online comedy has changed so much. Oh well, yeah. But um, 
for a while they were known for their like almost like prestige celebrity pieces that was um what they really like hung their hat on um and would think nothing about dropping like you know, ten grand to shoot something with Paris Hilton or something. Right. Have, have you seen that uh, that Nick Weiger video? Uh, the, yes. Uh, <laughs> I know the, the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Was that would that, that feel like accurate to you of like what it was like? Uh, yeah. It, yeah. I thought it was really funny. Uh, it is funny that he did that. I mean, because I, I mean, there's a cynical way to look at that, but it is funny he did that for Funny or Die about. Like, oh, totally. Yeah. Die, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is funny. <laughs> uh, did you ever have to pitch stuff to celebrities? Uh yeah 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 they would um they would uh come in we would just if if we were doing a video with them they would come in and we would just like pitch some ideas that we had it was usually if a celebrity was coming into New York offices because they were doing press so pitches would usually be like something about your movie that's coming out or something is there like a certain way you'd like approach pitching to a celebrity like differently than just pitching your idea I might dress a little better that's about, <laughs> that's about it. Once you have a once you have an idea, what's your like general approach to like writing a piece? Uh, I like to go off and be my by myself. Uh, I work better like sitting up straight at a coffee shop than I do in my own apartment. Uh, so I need that kind of a structure. Do you do you like a uh, coffee shop is like your place to go? Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I can never. I uh, I go to you know the the Bobst Library, the NYU Library. Mm-hmm. That's like I feel like that's a great place to work. I can't work in like a coffee shop. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It's not. Like, I, I don't drink coffee too. Well, I guess that's of part of it. They might kick you out. I guess <laughs> not ordering anything. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I can't. I can't work in public, and I can't work in my apartment. Really. What are you getting at a library that you're not getting at a coffee shop? Just uh, the atmosphere. I like because like, uh, the Bob's library specifically they have like a div- division, so you have like your own like it's almost like a cubicle. Uh-huh. So I like that, and it's a little bit quieter. And then okay. I also feel like no one's there's like no one's looking at me. Like potentially the coffee or coffee shop people are like someone's looking over your shoulders. Who's working on? Yeah. Well, then it also sucks. Like you're working like on a screenplay or something. Jesus Christ, that's like horrible. <laughs> that's the worst thing to do is work in the Starbucks with a screenplay. Yeah, at least everyone else there is too, though. And that's the worst part. <laughs> you're all writing. Uh, everyone's writing stuff that will never be seen. <laughs> uh, so obviously, Funny or Die, as you kind of hinted at, has kind of changed a lot uh, now. What do you think about how like digital comedy today in general? Uh, I feel very out of the loop, uh, but I know that uh, it's just an issue of like how do we monetize it now? Mm. I, a lot of the blame goes to Facebook. Right. Uh, when I was when I left Funny or Die, it was before they started doing layoffs. But uh, at that point, like nobody was reading our content on the site. No one was like typing in funnyordie.com. They were seeing it like we would post it on Facebook and they would see it. And that uh, is all based on, like, are we willing to pay Facebook to promote these ads? That it seemed like all of our comedy lived there, not on our site. Yeah, it's it's weird how that's happened. Like, that's happened for every website, I feel like, nowadays. Right. So, if, it, like, if it's hard for Funny or Die to get noticed, how does, like, your random sketch team putting videos <laughs> yeah. online? Get, like, they can't afford to pay Facebook to, like, promote this. And the Facebook promotion, I feel like, isn't even necessarily, like, good. Because I know uh, I've done, like, Facebook promotion, like, once before. I did it for, like, a podcast episode. And you, so you paid to have them promote? I paid, like, 20 bucks. So okay. it wasn't, like, much. But, and I saw the thing. I was like, oh, we've got 200 likes. That's cool. And then I checked, and they were, like, they were all fake accounts. They were all, <laughs> they were all robots. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. And so I feel like, I don't know. I feel like Facebook's really, there's line there. I mean, that's not oh, surprising. Oh, I wish the site would be shut down. It's cra- it's crazy, and they've ruined uh, like digital content yeah. a lot. Because uh, yeah, I mean, as you've said, I don't know. So I don't know if there's any way well, I can tell Facebook's gone or something. Yeah, I mean, I guess misery loves company. Like when when layoffs were coming at Funny or Die, it was not like a Funny or Die problem. It was like a digital landscape problem. Right. You know, above average was having the same pains the college humor was having, who was having the same pains that we were having. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any? What do you think is the future of it? I truly wish I had a good answer for that, and I don't. It's crazy to think, like, uh, five years ago even, there was so much more money in digital stuff. Totally. And uh, it's a completely different, like, landscape today. I mean, the benefit to the current landscape is it's so much easier for an average person to shoot a sketch now. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can shoot it on your phone if you want, as opposed to, like, even 
just like 15 years ago or something or mm-hmm. like the beginning of youtube you needed like proper camera equipment if you wanted to do yeah. something like that this uh this, you've seen the new soderbergh movie the high flying birds on netflix was that shot on an iphone it's shot on an iphone yeah uh then great movie tangerine was shot on an, an iphone yeah. as well and it, it like looks beautiful yeah soderbergh movie looks okay okay i mean that guy i mean i, I he does it i think because it's quick and because he can edit it faster uh-huh I mean, he should just use a camera. <laughs> like, you can, like Tangerine actually does look quite good, right? And I think that, and also, he, I think he needed to do that to get the movie made. But Soderbergh doesn't need to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was shooting. Uh, he shoots it like sitcom style, like multicam style, where he's got like two things on the scene and getting coverage on both sides. Wow. It was a good movie, so I mean, I it worked check it out. Uh, but yeah, I get bummed out about digital comedy because I feel like that's uh, gone, maybe. Yeah, I hope it's not gone. It's just changed. But yeah, I get bummed out thinking about it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so now you work at uh, Seth Meyers. Correct, yes. How, how did that come about? Uh, that, uh, I've been there for three years now. Uh, I think it helped that I was guest writing at SNL, which is the same production company. And then I also had uh, a bunch of people that have Seth's ear like, reach out on my behalf <laughs> when I heard that they were hiring. And they, they don't hire very often, right? Because it's, uh, it's the room stays pretty similar. Yeah, they're... Particularly for a late night show, there is very little turnover. Why do you think that is? I think it's a good gig and everyone's happy there. Yeah. Uh, I think the last person that left was like two years ago. So Is that true? It was either Connor O'Malley or Michelle Wolf, and that was a while ago. Wow. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Yeah. Because those are, those are notorious for being like turnover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everyone, everyone likes to stick around. <laughs> Uh, when you're when you're doing packets, like how do you approach uh, getting those done for shows? Uh, I uh, don't mind the packet process when I'm looking for work because I'm like, at least I did something today. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't feel like I've just like been sitting on my couch like hoping someone will email me a job offer. Uh, and it's the same deal. Like I, I like to like go to a coffee shop and sit up straight and work on my packet. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I think the asks are a little too much for free work that I'm like, hey, maybe the WGA should step in or something. Yeah. Uh, but the nice thing is, like, a lot of those, like, desk pieces and stuff, if you wanted to, you could recycle it for somebody else's packet mm-hmm. um, of, like, a similar voiced show. Mm-hmm. Have you have you heard, like, the debate about packets in terms of, like, uh, I mean, getting paid bas- basically for the packet? Uh, I mean, I know that it's, like, a point of contention for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think, is there is there a late night show that is, like, Paying for the second round of packets now or something? No, but I think I read that someone said they should. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone's actually doing it. Maybe oh. someone is, but uh, I think I, I saw someone like float an idea of like the first packet be more general, and right. so you can kind of just it kind of fits a couple. It could just so you show off who the writer is. Yeah. Then the second packet be a, a more specific for the show and be paid, and that should be paid, which I think is a pretty good. I think it's a fair trade off, and it's essentially like. If a college can do it with the Common App, like, why can't a TV <laughs> right. show do it? Yeah. Uh, and obviously, there's something to be said for, like, we want to know if you can write for this writer's voice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that could be Route 2. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It is It is funny to think, like, because, I mean, a lot of the shows are just, like, I mean, especially now, like, most shows are political-leaning. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's, like, if you have one political general packet, it should kind of get enough... Uh, enough to get the gist, Enough yeah. to get the gist before going on to be yeah. more specific. The, I mean... The only problem with the political stuff is just like the news cycle is so quick that like oh, yeah. that desk piece you wrote a week ago looks hack as fuck like a week later because yeah. we've completely moved on from that. <laughs> what's it? What's it like joining an existing room? Uh, it was uh really easy because I had uh, friends there that like made me comfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. The sense of humor on the show is like also my sense of humor, so that made it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh. It's funny, we, uh, a lot of the writers keep the cue card from the first joke that they got on, uh, and one of our writers, Jenny Hagel, just like went to a frame store and had hers framed, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do that. And then I looked at my card, and it's like a Jeb Bush joke, and I was like, this looks like the hackiest garbage I've ever written. At the time, it got a big laugh, but it's like, a Jeb Bush joke? <laughs> it feels like it's 20 years old. Do you, do you remember what the joke was? Yeah. <sighs> No, because the punchline was on the second card. <laughs> uh, we still we use cue cards on the show. Uh, it was something about him like going after Spanish voters by adding an upside down oh, exclamation right. point yeah. or something. <laughs> I don't know. Is is that weird that like 
your your like your writing is so intrinsically tied to the news cycle. So it's like, oh yeah, the first joke. I'll, Jeb Bush is like the first joke I ever got on. So that's tied together as a thing I remember. Yeah, 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 totally. And it's that's a weird thing about late night is because it's so tied to the now. And so when you think about it, it's like, what does that even mean? Like, who's like like ten years from now? Like, what was Jeb Bush doing? Like, what does that? Even yeah, mean? yeah. Like, why was I going after Jeb Bush? Was he even in the news? <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's a strange job. I mean, even, like, the Trump jokes have changed because, like, when he first announced or was thinking about announcing, like, it was almost cute. Like, like Were you people, like, working at late night then? Yes. Okay. Uh, like, it was it was almost, like, it was laughable because we all thought he's going to be around for a couple months and then he's going to drop out. So, like, a joke about, like, his small hands or his orange skin or something is like, all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, that's what you're gonna go after is small hands when he's like separating parents from their children at the border like yeah god it's it's bleak (laughs) it's so bleak i really wish i was writing pantsuit jokes right now (laughs) what's uh what's a typical day like for you at, at late night uh i'm usually the first one in the office just because i work better in the morning than i do in the late afternoon uh so i get in around 8 30 our first meetings at 9 30 so everyone's got to be there by 9 30 and uh, I work on monologue uh, until 1.30. And then our head writer, Bays, uh, makes picks from all of our packets, brings them to Seth. We meet in Seth's office at 2. And then Seth makes his picks out of those picks. And that's what we bring to rehearsal. Uh, at rehearsal, he reads all the jokes. We make picks from that based on what our rehearsal audience laughs at. And then at 5.30, it's like, all right, well, we had these jokes, but we didn't hit this specific story. So we have 20 minutes to write a joke for mm-hmm this one and that'll go into the show untested because rehearsal's over mm-hmm. so do you solely like write monologue jokes pretty much uh, i do mono and sketch mm-hmm. um but i write sketch usually um we have a sketch read on thursdays i usually write a sketch on fridays because we don't have a show and i'll like just sit on it for a week until oh i sketch read on thursday because i'm usually busy with monologue the rest of the day mm-hmm. so like when you when you get there at 8 30 in the morning like what do you start doing the first thing uh, i dig around on the internet for a little bit yeah. and then uh i start like going through the uh, new setups that our writer's assistant sent mm-hmm. out. And uh, are the new setups like usually like, they're like pretty much all you look at? Yeah. And are they generally pretty good? They're great. They're extensive. I mean, it's like too much. You don't have to write a joke for every right. setup. We get like three, like 15 pages of setups a day or something. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's essentially just like a one-line sentence and then you would write a punchline to it. Yeah. How, how do you approach writing a monologue joke? Uh, we have, um, we have a team of monologue writers and a team of sketch writers. Like I said, I do a little bit of both, but I, uh, I do a lot of G chatting the other mono writers and asking if something is hack or not. Okay. Um, cause I'd rather them groan at my joke than like Bayes or Seth groan yeah, at my yeah, joke. Yeah. Uh, so mono is weird because it's not as collaborative as sketches. Like no one's like, all right, let's go meet in this office and like pound out this monologue. We're all just like headphones in typing and then i'll like g chat like is this okay and if i get a yes or no i'll keep it in my pack mm-hmm. what do you think makes a makes for a good monologue joke brevity yeah yeah sometimes I, even if i see like a setup that has too many words it's like i'm not gonna write a joke for that oh really yeah you wouldn't even like rewrite the setup or oh yeah i mean i re- re- rewrite setups all the time uh-huh. just to make the joke flow better but if it's like so much exposition that you need for the joke uh-huh. then it's like eh, it's maybe it's not worth my time interesting what, what did you uh, do? You like to write like the the jokes that have like picture picture uh, punchlines? Uh, yeah, we all do. It's a benefit to Seth doing the monologue, uh, sitting down behind a desk. Right, right. Uh, it's super fun, and our graphics team is uh, really, really good at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my favorite jokes are the ones that are based on words, not on pictures. Mm. What do you uh, were you there when they made the decision for Seth to sit down versus stand up? Uh, no, oh, okay. he was already doing a sit down monologue when I got there. So when you were like, I don't know. So you were like, do you ever think like, okay, I gotta do like three picture jokes today? I gotta get three picture jokes with the rest of them. Oh no, nothing like no, that. No, no. no. Uh, so what? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I guess what do you think makes Seth different from the other hosts? Uh, he has, uh, he knows his voice really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are jokes that I'll write 
that I will still submit in my pack because I'm like, even if I know there's a 100% chance it will not make it onto the show just because I know it'll like make Seth laugh in the room. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that feels just as good. Uh, he like definitely like knows what he likes and doesn't like though after doing Weekend Update and like SNL for 12 years. Right. Do you ever uh, fight for jokes that are going to get cut? Uh, rarely. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we write so many a day, it's like really hard to be precious right. about one of them when I like submitted six pages. Mm-hmm. Do you ever when you're when it, when the jokes go to rehearsal? Do you ever worry about them being cut because like somebody from like Nebraska that hates it? Yeah, I mean that happens all the time. Uh, particularly our rehearsal audience, uh, they're not people that like got tickets to the show. Right, they're people that are like hanging around the NBC Experience store. And we're like, oh, you want to go to a monologue read through? So it's a lot of like uh, international tourists that are like. I don't even know who this person is that you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, the joke might be fine, but I don't, I have no frame of reference for um, who like Rudy Giuliani is or something. Right. I think I might have said this last week with, with Karen, but I, I went to a, a, a rehearsal oh, you did. a couple months ago and uh, he opens up by asking like, so where's everybody from? And he like kept going asking. And I was like, why is he keeping going? And, like, and I realized, oh, it's because he wants to know how many internationals were here to see if they'd get the joke or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought he wasn't even like, making riffs. I was like, I thought he was going to make some jokes about this. <laughs> just, just like, all right, you, 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 you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought that was really, really interesting how he did that. Uh, why'd you come to a monologue? Were you uh, just hanging around NBC? <laughs> my friend wanted to go. He's like, okay, we'll go check it out for a little bit. It, oh, was, cool. it was interesting. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, it was funny. It's weird to see him read the jokes like uh, casually. Yeah. Like he's like I think he wasn't wearing a suit. I think he was just wearing clothes. Oh yeah, he's yeah he's not in a suit at that point. And then and like, he's reading him off like a piece of paper, not off cue cards. Right, right. And it was also weird how like uh, the way he reacted like if a joke bombed, it would just be like sometimes he would be like it would just move on to the next joke, but the other times he'd like make a joke about it. Yeah. It was really it was really interesting to see when he chose to do that when he chose not to. Yeah. Uh, hey, I recommend it. If you're in New York, I recommend it. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, please come, particularly if you're from the states. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you also worked on the Golden Globes through uh, Seth Meyers. I did, yeah. Not this past one, uh, the one before that Seth right. hosted. And that was like, uh, that was uh, in the middle of the Me Too stuff, right? Yeah, that was one where everyone wore black. Right. Uh, it was like the first award show post the Me Too movement. What's it like writing jokes like in that climate for, for that show? Uh, it was a blast. There was only four late night writers... Like when actually like went out to LA and went to the ceremony, uh, and then the other writers just like submitted over email, mm-hmm. uh, and I went out and there's like so much downtime. I couldn't believe how much downtime there is because there's so many writers and so many jokes. But like you're not on stage for all that long. Right. You you like do a monologue and then you like introduce a couple presenters at the end. Like mm-hmm. after the monologue was over, uh, we were like, oh, all right, we're gonna. I guess get a drink. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you definitely, like, stick around because if something crazy happens, you're going to need a last-minute joke for it. But also, like, nothing crazy happened that night mm-hmm. that uh, by, like, 8.15, we were like, all right, great job, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> How do you... Did you, like, guys... I can't remember what the monologue was, but did you guys, like, address, like, the Me Too stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you address that, like, in a funny way while also being respectful? Uh, I, I think that the opening was, like... All right, it's time to address the elephant not in the room. Okay. <laughs> uh, which is Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a dicey topic. Uh, and also, like, you're there to, like, celebrate film as well, yeah. which you, like, don't want to forget. That's why. <laughs> um, but also, it would be wrong to, like, not talk about it either. Mm-hmm. Particularly when an entire audience of people is wearing, are wearing black. Right. How was it different writing jokes for Seth at the award show versus Seth at uh, Late Night? Uh, it was, I mean, what he thought was funny didn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anything, that like helped because I knew what he was going to like. But I was like, man, it is so fun to, instead of writing, be writing a Trump joke, be writing about like the shape of water right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, his monologue like didn't mention Trump once. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, what a treat this was. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to write uh, anything other than the monologue? Uh, just like presenter intros. Wait, uh, were those fun? I can imagine those being a lot of fun. Yeah, those are fun. Uh, and then also just like some TV promos. I forget. There was um, Andy Samberg hosted, not this past Golden Globes, but some some award show. And uh, I think the, the presenters were like 
Leighton Meester, Leighton Meester, and uh-huh. Lil Wayne, and some. And the joke was something like, "If what would now like here comes Batman's what Alfred would say to Batman, Meester Wayne, something like that." It was like <laughs> Meester Wayne, and it was so insane. It was so funny that they did that on a TV on a show. That's great. That's- very silly. <laughs> Late and Mr. Little Wayne together <laughs> is crazy. It's probably like an MTV award show, I think. Oh, that's great. But yeah. Uh, at, at Seth, do you ever do like uh, joke buckets and desk pieces and stuff? Yeah. Um, I perform on the show uh, a decent amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the desk pieces, I mean, we all submit to those. Mm-hmm. There's one writer that's like in charge of each specific piece. But if we're doing something like you burnt, an email goes out that's like, all right, we need 10 you burnts from everyone. What do you think are the hallmarks of a good uh, joke bucket segment or desk piece? Uh, the ability to repeat it. Mm. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's like, all right, this was funny once, but like we we burned up this device where we can't use it again. Uh, so usually if it's something that can be described in like one or two sentences, that means it's going to be good. And it's something that you could do like once a month if you wanted to. Mm. Do you ever like... I don't know. Do you ever have like an idea that's like, oh, that'd be pretty good to do once, and then, then pitch it or no? Uh, I had, I played uh, Trump's caddy on the show once, okay. uh, <laughs> and it went really well, and it was and it was super fun, and I was like, oh man, I really I want to like bring this character back, and we even like talked about bringing him back, but it relied on so many like golf puns mm. that it's like this isn't I can't really do this again because I've like blown my load. Sorry for the <laughs> gross phrase on. Uh, this first one that I've like used them all up again. Right. <laughs> what's what's it like acting in the in the sketches? Uh, really fun. I mean, there's you don't like memorize because you work off of cue cards, so that yeah. uh takes away any like you don't have to worry about getting off book or anything. That's kind of nerve nerve wracking then to like re- have to read the cue card a little bit. It is a little bit, but because we're changing stuff up until the last minute, like mm-hmm. you're doing yourself a disservice if you memorize right. because. Then if even like a phrasing changes, you're like completely thrown off your game. Yeah. Is there like a key to, to reading a cue card? I don't know. For some reason, I feel like that's difficult to do. Uh, I mean, there's definitely like a uh, a there's a camera light that like shows you where you should be looking uh-huh. and where your eye line should be. And we have it's not like we have one set of cards. So if you like turn to camera two, right. there's also cards over there to right. look at. I just know sometimes you're watching SNL, you can tell like the host is like staring real, really hard at the oh, cue card. Totally, and like who blames them? Right, right, <laughs> of course. I, yeah, uh, it just it feels like a uh, a skill mm. that's hard. That's not natural. I think. Yeah, that you can't expect a host who's been there for five days and yeah. never done live television to like do it the way like Keenan does or right, something. Right, right, right. Uh, how has your job changed since Trump became president? It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it. I will say it's like very cathartic to write mm. jokes about what's going on. I remember, like, after the election, everyone was obviously devastated in the office. But I was like, I'm happier being here, like, with my friends and like trying to write about it than like if I were at home on my couch, just like being sad. Right. Uh, so I mean, if it like, I think it helps to write jokes about Trump. But also, I'm just like. Enough. I don't. <laughs> I don't get what's funny about him. Right. Uh, yeah, and like I said, it's it's tough to make jokes about stuff that's like really sad. Like right. when he was announced he was running, it was like almost fun, mm-hmm. and now it's like, oh, it's not fun anymore. Uh, I I always try. I understand the uh, intention behind the sentiment, but when people are like, "Man, that's Trump stuff," must write itself, right? I'm gonna be like, right. "Fucking no, it doesn't." That's why we have writers. It's actually really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Is is it frustrating to talk about politics so much when you're when you're, you're a comedian? Uh, no, I mean, I've been I was interested in politics bef- uh, before the show. That mm-hmm. um, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough for me to go home and want to like watch something about politics though. Right. Like all I want to do when I get home is watch like This Is Us, <laughs> even though I think like there are so many other like fantastic political late night shows on television. Mm-hmm. I'm like I don't know if I'm in the mood for that. <laughs> Do you think uh, as time passes, do you think, I guess, let, let's say Trump wins another term. Okay. Do you think, <laughs> a very, very visceral reaction right there. Do you think uh, late night will still be the same way where it's still very political throughout like his entire time? Yeah. I, th- I, 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 I think that it will, but also like he won't be president forever, even if he wins again. Yeah. And like that 
and comedy is like cyclical. So like at some point it will be out of fashion yeah. again. Um, but I have a feeling that if he wins again, we'll mention it on the show. <laughs> it is interesting to think of like I. I, I cannot remember what late night is like without Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember what those jokes were, which is crazy. Yeah, because it's not that long. Ago. It was like three. They were years like ago. Jeb Bush, please clap jokes. <laughs> yeah, that right? was like the news of the day. I mean, that was a very funny clip. That was so funny. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to think of like, like now is it's, it's almost weird when like you watch a late night show and they do a non political joke that's kind of light. It's like it's a weird thing to go from like this very dark like. Trump stuff to just yeah like, yeah uh, it's like it's Beyonce's news. birthday yeah. or a man in Florida shot his dick off yeah Beyonce's birthday I feel like is a joke that people do a lot which is funny that is like a setup I've oh seen. We, it is always a setup it's a big deal yeah it's an important person <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would you like to be doing next uh, I have uh, written a couple features that are in various stages of development um, you know one further along than the other and I think that'll be my next move do you do do you like screenwriting I love it yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this, is this something you want to do, like, uh, like maybe after late night and stuff? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think after um, after late night, I'll I'll still want to like work with the people that I work with, but mm-hmm. just in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Uh, so we're gonna wrap up with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea. Okay. Um, okay. So this would be a new show called The Zach Factor, where all the news stories are discussed by a panel of men named Zach. Okay. So some people have insight, like, but mostly just guys named Zach talking about how the news affects Zach's out there. Uh, immediately, I love it, okay. and I think you should write it up. Uh, do the Zachs think that they belong there, or are they like, why was I brought on this show? I think the Zachs do think they belong there. And are they talking, like, news of the day, or specifically Zach, be- like, there's a new Zach that was born today? <laughs> I'm not sure. That, that's, that, that's where I struggle. I think, I think news of the day. What do you think's funnier? Uh, I think news of the day, probably because they have no business talking about it, right, just right. because their name is Zach. Um, and you know, there's also like five year olds named Zach, and there's fifty year olds right. named Zach. That'll look fun. There's a lot of lot of potential Zachs out there for this. Is there a fifty year old named Zach? That seems like such a young name. I can't <laughs> yeah. think of an adult Zach. There's Zacharies, so they could go by Zach. All right. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, the sketch works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, thanks for coming out. Anything you want to plug? Uh, oh, my pleasure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just at Mike Scollins. Uh, and uh, after I told you that I'm not amazing at improv, I do a monthly improv show at UCB <laughs> uh, the second Thursday, first Thursday of every month at the UCB in House Kitchen with the other late night writers. All right, cool. cool. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs>